reading from the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with the 31st verse. Jesus is speaking. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick, or in prison, and visited you. And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a lot of stuff in this text that you can get hung up on in a very short hurry. You could go back and just pick up the book of Daniel and say, oh, this is resurrection language like Daniel picks up because Daniel says there will be in that day of the Lord there will be a resurrection, some to death and some to life. He picks that up and throws it around and you can feel vindicated and say, oh yeah, we love Jesus so we got to be in the way of life. And then we could ask the question, well, who are these nations people? Because if you're used to hearing that in the King James, you've probably heard Gentiles, right? It's the Goyim. It's who are these people we might want to know? Who are these folks who were standing before Christ? Is it really the whole world? 
Or is it just those people who were outside the church? And there are struggles, struggles and struggles going on with scholars in the world who are publishing books and commentaries on the Gospel of Matthew and none of them agree. For a very, very, very long time, for the nations were just considered to be everybody everywhere. But now scholars are writing that it's probably about people who are outside the church. And they build that question around, what does Jesus mean by my brothers and sisters? What does He mean by those people that you did it to? And they say what Jesus means is disciples of Jesus. That this text is about how the world treats Christian missionaries in the world. Now that's a recent development in the last hundred years or so. But for a long time, the church just said, no, this is about people in the world who are the least of these. And you have heard that phrase many times. I could have used that phrase to make you feel guilty about the DSS kids and the Etworth kids, but I don't have to do that with you because you're generous people. But there are people who do that. They stand in front of their churches and parade on and on and on about the least of these, and if we don't care for them, we're going to wind smack dab in the middle of the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels, otherwise known as hail. You know, if you're talking about condemnation, it's a two-syllable word. It's not hell, it's hail. And we wonder, what in the world is Jesus trying to do to us here? Is he disagreeing with Paul when Paul says in Ephesians 2 by 8, we're saved by grace through faith and not by works? Certainly not by who we take care of. And the answer is no, but we ought to just let Jesus speak for Jesus for a moment. And wrestle with what Jesus said and how we hear it. Not worry about what it meant in the first century. Maybe not worry about what it meant to His disciples who were sitting around Him. Maybe they knew that Jesus was referring to all the people who were going to be mean to them. And they said, yeah, that's right. And maybe when Matthew wrote this to his church, his congregation jumped for joy because they said, that's right, Matthew, they're going to get theirs in the end. And maybe that's true. And maybe it's also true that Jesus is going to have us stand before Him with the rest of the world and wonder what we did with our lives. Did we take care of anybody but ourselves? It could mean both things, and it could mean both things at the same time. And while we hear it, we can still hang on to Paul's promise that if we have faith in Christ, we will be saved. Even from the judgment that the king speaks of here. And all those things aren't worth letting them cancel each other out or say that, oh, Jesus doesn't really mean here that He's going to judge us. Because maybe He is. We don't know. But what we could let the text do is be like that annoying doctor you have to go to, right? We don't have any doctors here, so I can say that. I didn't say nurses or people who prick people's fingers. Many of you know my mother was a nurse. You've heard that before. Did you know that my mother's favorite deterrent against illness in my house was the suppository? <laughs> do y'all know what suppositories are? They don't do those horrible things to children now. My mother kept in the refrigerator, in the butter tray of the refrigerator, <laughs> these things that my brother and I would see every time we wanted a snack. They look like little missiles straight out of hell. <laughs> and if we said we were sick, she would say, do you need a suppository? So my brother and I had this wonderfully good attendance record at school. 
Because the last thing we were going to do was tell Mama, Mama, I'm too sick to go to school. But sometimes we need that person who will stand in front of us and say, are you really sick? Are you healthy or not? Don't we? Every year, the conference thinks it's a good idea that I go to see some people who stick a big needle in me and take blood. I am not a fan of needles. Also my mother's fault. People would come to school and say, I had your mama as my nurse. She was so sweet and gentle. She, made, she stabbed me like she's sticking me with a dagger. Last thing I wanted was mama come rolling in the door with a penicillin shot. And you know, I probably deserved it. It was her way to get back at me, right? But the first time I had to go for this thing was in 2005. And I walked in, and I had never done the whole walk into the little lab setting and get your blood drawn thing. I would go to the doctor and, you know, they would wait and see if you were sick before they would do all that stuff. It had been a while since I'd had just a general checkup. So I walk in, and she does all the stuff. She does my weight, says, you're fat. I'm like, yeah, well, I already knew that. Um, does my blood pressure. It was good. And then she sits me in the table where she's going to take my blood. And she walks in with this needle that looked like a spear. It was massive. And I was instantly terrified. And I looked at that poor little girl, and before I even thought, I said, if you stick me with that, you have to hold me afterward. I was scared, and I started shaking. But I needed to know what it was going to say. And out of that, I learned that my A1C was high, and I needed to do something about it. So that little bit of discomfort was worth knowing that, right? It was worth knowing what was going on with me. Likewise, about this time last year, I developed this weirdness in my head that's still there. Some of you know about it, the tingling thing and all. I was afraid maybe I was having a stroke, so I had to go to the doctor. She told me I was fat too, but I told her I'm not as fat as I was last year. <laughs> Doctors. But we have to go. We need that moment for somebody to challenge us on our health, don't we? We need that. No, my brother says he's in perfect health because he didn't go to the doctor. <laughs> But it can get monotonous. One of you told me one time, one of you more vintage folks told me one time that you know what day of the week it is by what doctor you're seeing. But what if this text, what if we just didn't worry about who it is that Jesus is, is attacking, who it is that Jesus is giving a hard time, and what if we just took this text as an opportunity to ask ourselves, am I okay? Am I really serving the risen Christ? Am I really serving the King? Because here's what this text might put in front of us. If we don't know any people who are hungry, if we don't know any people who are thirsty, if we don't know any people who don't have clothes, if we don't know any people who are sick and suffering, if we don't know any people who are in prison, whether it's in prison in a political sense, a, a, a legislative sense, or a spiritual sense, because they didn't use prisons like we did back then. The word is different. There are people who are imprisoned in things that they can't drag themselves out of. And the question we can ask ourselves is just let Jesus speak and not worry about what it means about salvation and damnation. Are we in or are we out? But are we living for Him? Are we taking time to hear Him say, because you did it to them, you did it to me. And do we not want to serve Him? It used to be the custom in Methodist circles for Methodists to say to each other, is it well with your soul? And it would be an invitation to talk to each other about what they had struggled with 
It was back when Methodists trusted each other enough to be in little class meetings together and sit with each other and be open about our lives and expect that we would not be judged, but that somebody might say, you know, you need help with that and I will help you carry that burden. And maybe that's what Jesus is just lifting this up in front of us. Maybe he makes it sound threatening on purpose so that we will hear it and say, I don't know any sick people. I don't know any hungry people. I don't know any naked people. I don't know any people in prison, but they're out there. So am I living for Christ or am I living for myself? Am I living for the King or am I wrapped up in my own needs and my own wants so much that I can't see the needs and wants and hurts of my neighbor? The text isn't about earning our way into heaven by helping people. All those things that I told you it could be about, it could be about any of them, but it's not about that. But it is a great opportunity for us to just simply ask, is it okay with my soul? Like the person last week who had that great amount of money invested in his life, We have been invested with the great news of the kingdom of God, which is that because Christ has come, people don't have to go that way because Christ is raising up a people in the world who are not self-centered, but centered in Him. The good news of the kingdom has always been that captives are released, that there's sight for the blind, that prisoners are set free, and apparently that the hungry and the naked and the thirsty find relief in the church whether it's from spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst or physical hunger and physical thirst. So what if we just heard Jesus ask this question? What if we just heard Him say these words? I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick. You took care of me. I was in prison. You visited me. And the people responded, When, Lord? When? And Jesus said, Whenever you did it, You did it to me. And church, why can't that just be enough? I understand that scholars feel like they need to pick through the words and make it all make sense so that preachers can preach eloquent sermons with a lot of factoids, three points, and a poem and impress everybody. But I just want to ask you, what if we just heard Jesus say that it matters to Him whether or not we're doing those things? Because if it matters to Him, and He's our Lord, then it should matter to us. What do you think, church? Am I right? I think so too. Maybe today we can let the great physician address our soul and say, how is it with your soul, David? Are you selfish? Are you focused on yourself and on what you want? How is it with your soul? Maybe that's something you can do too. 
Is my life all about me? Or is it about Christ and those whom Christ loves? I think that's a good question worth wrestling with. And that's my invitation to you this week, church, to wrestle with that. Maybe flip through your phone and see if there's anybody that you know in there who's struggling and ask yourself, what can I do about it? What might God be calling me and my church family to do about this person who's hurting? Let's do that together this week and see what comes of it. Let me know if you hear something. If in your thinking about that you hear a name of a person or, or you realize that there's something that we could be doing that we're just not doing or maybe even refusing to do, let me know. Let's let our Lord be the physician to our souls this week and ponder this text. Amen.